welcome into another edition of Bogey Free. I'm your host, Matt Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Jones TFR. And I am being joined by nobody tonight. Uh, I gave Evan the week off since I had to change the night of our stream and no guests this week. So um, I'm going to be quickly going through um, some of the bets that I like for this week. I'm not going to talk a ton about the DFS slate just because um, I haven't I haven't run ownership projections or anything yet. And um, without without knowing ownership, it's just uh, as you'll as you'll find out as the show goes on, it's just not it's not something that I'm uh, spending a ton of time on until I know where the ownership is going to shake out. Um, if you've been paying attention today on Twitter, you know that there have been a ton of withdrawals. There has been um, some positive COVID tests, all sorts of things. Uh, so the field has been changing <laughs> pretty much throughout the day. Um, and yeah, so it's it's been a little uh, it's been a little interesting. I just tweeted that I I've basically gone back and forth, um, and <laughs> and have uh, reran my simulator. Uh, about a half dozen times at this point, which is uh, which is super frustrating <laughs> because it, it does take quite a while. Um, but yeah, so I it is what it is. I'm uh, I, I'll survive. Um, so just looking through, we're obviously at the Honda Classic this week. Um, a significantly weaker field than uh, than we had at the players, obviously. Um, and it's, it seems like it's gotten weaker and weaker as the day has gone on. So, um, the, the top of the board is super interesting. We have Berger, we have M and we have Neiman, uh, sort of like just in a completely different, a completely different stratosphere. Um, you know, Neiman is at 20 to one. Uh, Sung Jay's at 14 and Burgers at 11. I actually do show a little bit of value on Neiman um, at plus 2000. He was at 22 um, earlier today. And of course, I waited too long. Uh, so now I'm stuck with either the 20 um, or just or just not going to bet it. I, I make him closer to 17 to 1. So there, you know, there's a decent chunk, a decent chunk of value there um, as far as outrights go. So we'll uh, we'll definitely poke around a little bit with that. I think um, I think Streelman is a, a pretty decent bet. Probably more, maybe something uh, like an each way, uh, just to give yourself a little bit of wiggle room if you have access to um, any books that that go with each ways. Uh, that would be. That would definitely be the way that I'm playing it. Um, I feel like I'm pot committed with Ryan Moore at this point too. Um, so that's probably a thing that's just gonna keep happening until he wins or I go busto. Um, yeah, Denny McCarthy has some value too. So this this could be um, this could be the last week. Uh, that I do that I do anything because I might be I might be broke uh, after. <laughs> after this week um so i don't know we'll see uh it, it's the the outright market 
I've spoken about with a lot smarter uh, people than than me. And uh, everybody sort of agrees that it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. Um, I really like to live in the top 20 um, realm. I think that there's value on Neiman there this week. I think there's value on maybe Aaron Wise. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of putting my card together uh, over the next 24 hours or so. Um, speaking of which, if you, uh, if you are interested at all in getting access to my, my full betting card, I always share it over at bet the prop in their slack. Um, court does a really nice job with all the other sports. Um, and I, uh, contribute on the PGA side. So if you're ever interested in, uh, checking it out, or if you want, um, any, you know, I, I'm I'm more than happy to share uh, share my bets in general, and also share my results. If you ever have questions about how the model's performing or anything like that, um, you know, don't hesitate to slide in the DMs or tweet at me. Uh, I think so far this season on the tracked bets um, that I've that I've put out for Bet the Prop, we're up around 18 or so units on the on the calendar year so far. Um, so, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but the way that I, the way that I attack the betting slate is, um, definitely lower, lower risk. And obviously that, that comes along with the lower reward as well. Um, for obvious reasons, uh, I do most of my outrights to win eight units and my top fives and top tens to win a unit and a half and then top twenties to win one unit. Uh, and I haven't really done a bunch of head-to-heads other than some random um, round head-to-heads here and there. So um, that's that's sort of been how I've been attacking the betting slates lately. Uh, and yeah, like I said, if you're if you're interested in the DFS side of things for this week, make sure you check out the article and make sure that you check out the. Um, the ownership projections. Cause there's, there's literally no reason, um, you know, for me to sit here and, and talk for 20 minutes about the slate, uh, in with, with no ownership projections, it's, uh, it, it would be a waste of everybody's time because that's literally the most important thing. Um, as we will, as we will see, as we sort of work our way through this. So, um, I've been working on the, uh, this game theory series, for I guess almost theoretically almost a year now. Um, right now, uh, I just finished the sort of 2.0 version of the series. I took a step back and was looking through. Um, Blair Andrews does a lot of great work for Rotoviz. He's the editor. He makes my uh, my writing legible and uh, and easy to read. Um, he wrote this really great article for his series called the wrong read um, talking about how, you know, we can build all of these models and we can get our R squared up to whatever we want, right? Add a sample, back test it, do everything that you want. And sometimes there's, there's some, uh, there's some validity to that, but there's also something to be said for these uh, sort of simple, heuristics that you can just kind of go through and say, okay, I I'm looking at, 
you know, for the NFL example, I'm looking at wide receiver. Like, do I need a certain 40 threshold? Do I need a certain hand size? Do I need a certain speed score, a freak score? Like, whatever it is, um, what are the boxes that need to be checked, basically, uh, for for me to give myself a, a somewhat more of a chance to uh, be successful. And the other, the other part of this that sort of uh, goes hand in hand with a lot of the work that's being done over at Rotoviz on the football side is the best ball win rates. So um, when you're talking about structurally drafting, you're, uh, you're looking at how other teams, successful teams, in the past have won uh, won their leagues in best ball, and you're trying to emulate that roster construction, basically. So, you know, if you uh, if you go over to the win rate app, you could see, like, say, people who are drafting four quarterbacks are basically just throwing their money away uh, on whatever site, you know, name, name whatever site, as long as it's single QB. Um, it, that's that's just stupid. You're you're cutting away from your ceiling, you're cutting away from your floor and you're just not, you're not going to be successful doing that. So I wanted to take um, sort of both of those approaches and, and mash them together a little bit and just take a look, like, are we actually any good at any of this? Like ownership shakes out a certain way every single week and we need to figure out, are we making the right decisions? Because DFS is uh, is a game at the end of the day, right? So we need to, within the confines of the of the structure, right, the salary cap, picking six golfers, we need to figure out where we can gain an edge. So there are some situations where you're going to actually want to eat the chalk, where the community as a whole is good at identifying these types of plays and saying, okay you know, guys in this range with this ownership, uh, typically, typically perform well, and they're worth the eating a little bit of the ownership. Um, so basically, I went through each salary range, and you could probably argue with the way that I broke up the salary ranges if you wanted to. Um, I did it differently in the first iteration of this. And, um, you know, compared to now, so there, there's a chance that maybe I I think of things differently as as more time goes on. But this is sort of the way that I've been approaching it now. Um, so in the in the 10K and up range, I, I cut it off there, even though there aren't that many golfers in that range each week, because you're you're either playing one or two guys from there and building like real stars and scrubs or you're avoiding that range altogether, right? And you're and you're going more balanced. You're living in the nines and and figuring that kind of stuff out. So um, I went through, and I, I won't go through every single uh, part of this research, but basically, um, as long as uh, as long as guys are rising in price into this range, and they have at least a power ranking score of eighty five. Um, checking off both of those boxes is a pretty is a pretty good indication um is a pretty good indication that they're going to hit uh, a ceiling outcome 60% of golfers that meet both of those criteria uh over the past couple of years have hit 
the tournament ceiling as far as DK scoring goes. If you hit one of those, have one of those criteria, so say, you know, you have a, a power ranking score of 87 and you were 10,800 the, the week prior, you still have a 56% chance um, of, of hitting a ceiling outcome. If you fit neither of those criteria, so that would be somebody who is uh, staying in the 10K and up range, but doesn't have a good power ranking score, then you're talking about a 45% um, chance at a ceiling outcome, which is a, is a huge difference. Um, and this has nothing to do with ownership. Um, ownership plays in general uh, in this range are it's, it's sort of like play whoever you want. Right. Uh, in the words of, in the words of blender, blenderhead, um, you're, you're sort of in the same range here, right? You're in the 40% ish, uh, for ceiling rate when you're just looking at different ownership ranges. So that's whatever. Um, so price going up power ranking score, at least 85 Bingo. Those are those are the two most important things that you can look for, in my opinion, in the 10K and up range. I did the same thing for the 9900 to $8,500 range. Um, here, we're actually worse at uh, at just ownership, like giving guys ownership. Uh, we're worse at picking good chalk in this range. So for this, I'm looking at guys that are projected in the bottom half of the price range uh, as far as ownership goes. I'm looking for a power ranking score of 75 and up. And as long as they were not 6,500 or below in the previous event, um, then then we're good to go. So golfers that hit all three of those criteria hit a ceiling outcome 44% of the time. Uh, and then two two and one of the two or one of those boxes you're talking about closer to a third of the time. So a pretty, a pretty significant, um, a pretty significant jump there as well. Uh, in the next range, this was, uh, 8,500 or 8,400 to 7,500. Um, we're looking at similar idea. We're, we're trying to avoid the chalk in this range, the bottom half of projected ownership, for the that current event, a power ranking score of at least 80 and the same price criteria, 6,500 and up. Um, those are the three boxes that we're looking for. And you'll notice that these these chances at a ceiling rate are are dropping significantly throughout um, the, the price scale, which makes sense. Like we're we're not expecting to get these huge um, ceiling outcomes from a guy that's, you know, 7,700 or something. Um, since the start of 2018, about six and a half percent, uh, of golfers from this range finished inside the, the top five. So you're, you know, you're, you're hoping for maybe a top 15 is like a reasonable ceiling outcome. Uh, you get winners from here every so often you get your top threes and your top five guys, um, but for the most part, you're, you're looking for those top 15s. You're looking for guys that are, um, outperforming the range. Plus you're getting the added bonus when 
when you get a guy that hits all three of those boxes, you're getting the added bonus that one of those boxes is automatically going to give you leverage because it's it's a lower um, lower protected ownership. So that is um, that's how I'm attacking the 84 to seventy five hundred dollar range. And then this uh, this article came out today over at Rotoviz uh, for the seventy four hundred to sixty five hundred. I didn't go any lower than that. I don't really, there, there's just not a whole lot under 6,500 to even look for, to care about. Um, there's always a few guys maybe right at 6,500 that you could potentially play. Um, but those are pretty rare examples and there, there wasn't a lot of signal. So in this range right above that 6,500 to 7,400, I am looking specifically for, a power ranking score above 61, which was the median for that group. Uh, and I am looking for projected ownership of at least 10%. So this is actually uh, a situation where we have um, we have been pretty good. There, There is good chalk in this range. Um, you know, people don't want to really hear that and people don't really want to play chalk in any range, um, which I understand. But when you look at at GPP winning lineups, uh, you don't need to get that weird in that many lineup spots to to be unique in even like the larger field GPPs. So I'm thinking uh, if this is if this is the place where we eat some chalk, um, you know, I'm okay with that. I think that uh, you have to do it somewhere. You can't just play exclusively guys that are two percent owned because at a certain point at the, in these tails, um, in the tails of the range, you're like the guys that are 2% are usually like bad. Like they're usually supposed to be 2% owned. Um, and the guys that the community really gets behind in this range have typically done a little bit better, um, better scoring compared to the tournament floor and, uh, a higher rate of hitting a ceiling outcome. So, that's sort of like the really quick fast forwarded version of the game theory uh, series that I just finished over at Rotoviz. If you want to read a little bit more, uh, of course you can, you can head over that way and, uh, and check it out. Um, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud of the work that I put into that. And I think that it's, I think it's valuable stuff. I think that there's a lot of people who, um, feel very high and mighty about their, their golf acumen. Uh, and I think that this is a really good example of just us not really knowing, uh, how to do just, we, we have to know what we don't know basically. And I think that, um, there's a lot of people who think that whether it's, you know, being good at golf, uh, in, in real life or whether it's that they're good at other DFS sports, that they can, um, you know, build a model and just be fine going right off of that model. I trust the power ranking score for like exclusively for all of my betting. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a good DFS play, right? There are, there are definitely times when, um, a guy is an excellent play for a top 20 and an awful play on DraftKings. And if you 
if you have a hard time wrapping your head around that, I would suggest sort of sticking with betting, honestly. Um, like there are times where I'll have somebody on my card that I outright fade uh, in DFS or vice versa. There'll be guys that I play heavily in, in on DraftKings and are nowhere to be found on my betting card. Um, some of that is obviously like hedge life or whatever. Um, but I do think that it's important. I think that people, uh, people need to think about these things in completely separate lights, even though in theory, you're talking about trying to predict an outcome in golf. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't always match up most of the time it will, you know, there are lots of times where the community gets on, everybody gets on one guy, you know, this past week was a great example of that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really know anybody in the industry that didn't have a, a Justin Thomas ticket last week. Right. Like it happens. Um, but I think that it's super, it's super important to understand that DFS and betting, uh, even though we're trying to be right, quote unquote, right about golf, I think that it's important for us to realize that it's they're they're different goals um, between the two of them. So that's that. Now, <clears throat> good old, good old course history. Um, I figured I would take this opportunity to. Uh, to expand a little bit on my uh, my thoughts about course history. Now, there there are lots of things on uh, on Twitter in general. Um, there are lots of you know quote unquote don't matter uh, tweets. Right, defenses don't matter, uh, matchups don't matter, running backs don't matter. Uh, Oh, there, there's some, uh, there's some validity to all of those things, and there has to also be some sort of acknowledgement that there is, uh, that there's some hyperbole built into that as well. People who say that running backs don't matter are not saying, well, most are not saying that we should only see football teams throw the ball 100% of the time. We should only see empty sets. Running backs shouldn't even be on the roster, um, and that's that's it. There's there's no wiggle room. Obviously, there are times where you know running the ball is 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 plus EV, and there are times where teams just completely get it wrong, just like anything else. Now, as far as course history, this whole entire argument goes. My feeling is that course history is important in the to the extent that it shows course fit possibly so um when when i look at my power ranking score and i see you know how uh how it weights rounds over time um, it's, it pretty much goes back a hundred rounds, which is usually about a full year for a golfer. So let's, let's just say that we have whatever Sung Jay this week, right? Sung Jay is, um, 
a talented golfer. He he uh, won this event right last year. Um, so you have to think like, all right, so a hundred rounds ago, ninety nine rounds ago, ninety eight rounds ago, and ninety seven rounds ago, he was very good at this course. From a from just a macro perspective, the hundred rounds ago, how much that round actually counts towards my power ranking is like not even 1% of, of the power ranking score. So you're already knocking things down quite a bit because of how much it even counts for how I'm, I'm measuring the talent of a golfer. Now, there, there are different parts to this, but the power ranking score is how a golfer, how talented a golfer is over the course of those hundred rounds. And there are different chunks of time that I take and I weight differently. Um, but basically it works out to be less than 1% of, of the power ranking uh, for that hundredth round ago or 99th round ago. So when you factor in, uh, when you factor in the fact that ownership is going to go up, uh, when you factor in the, just the idea um, that you're that you're trying to win uh, GPP at, on DraftKings, and you are trying to differentiate yourself. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of conflicting parts to this conversation, right? You want to be different in DFS, and you're going out of your way to select somebody that everybody is going to think will do well here. I think that that's, that's morphed over the years since I started playing. Um, I don't know how long, how long it's even been five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was um, over time, the amount that course history has played into ownership has definitely lessened. Um so that is still a concern, I think. Um, but you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of conflicting things here because half the time that you're talking about guys with good course history, they're just good golfers that you want to roster anyway, regardless of whether or not they've done well at that particular course. So you have to be able to say like, okay, yes, this guy has course history. Cool even though nobody has ever uh, nobody has ever defined it for me. Um, I typically think the way that I see people talk about course history, it would have to be like five, three to five years um, with multiple top 20s and at least a top five. If you're saying that somebody has good course history because they had, um, you know, a string, of three top 19 t19s in a row give me a fucking break like what like what are we doing at that point like great that's awesome the the point of all of this is to get yourself in a position on DraftKings where you're on golfers that other people are not on theoretically so that you can climb up leaderboards and have leverage so if there are times where a golfer has really great course history that 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 isn't like garnering a ton of ownership. Great. My, my whole premise around this has never been 
if a golfer has good course history, I will not play them. That's that's that doesn't make any sense. The way that I view it, and it's funny because the people in the industry that do the most course history stuff have the biggest problem with me saying that I don't weight it that heavily. Um, if you're just using that for content, then great, that's fine. You can you can up your word count. Uh, you can you can write all the articles you want about just the guys who have good course history. But at the end of the day, when those guys fizzle and they don't make the cut or they they you know finish outside the top 50 then you get all the excuses of oh well you know uh he came in with bad form so that's why well then that's what you should be paying attention to if if your if your whole thesis behind playing somebody is because of course history and you're not paying attention to form and you're not paying attention to how you know how they've been playing and 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 what they how they're trending basically then then you're you're already putting yourself behind the eight ball there's there's no reason to in my opinion there's no reason to rely on that strictly whenever it doesn't work out that first excuse that somebody gives oh it's not they didn't have good form oh they had a bad draw they had bad weather whatever um that is the stuff that's more important than the course history that you're relying on. So that has always been, um, that's always been my point about all of this, right? Like if you want to include it somehow as a, as a way to measure course fit, I think that that's great, but you can measure course fit very simply, um, without, without doing, uh, without even looking at course history. So, I think um, I think that kind of sums it up. I hope that that made sense. Um, you know, having having limited characters on Twitter doesn't really uh, lend itself to having this kind of conversation. And most of the time, it's um, you know very trolly, whether it's on on my part uh, or on uh, you know people replying to me's part. So hopefully that made sense. Uh, Good luck this week in your contest. I'm going to be posting the Listener League here shortly, uh, so make sure you hop in there. And uh, good luck in your contest this week, and we will talk soon. See you.